Hey guys, and welcome to the most bizarre show on the internet. We are your connoisseurs of strange, navigating the treacherous waters of the unknown, diving deep into the Mariana Trench of weird information, then surfacing up to the swirling vortex of the Bermuda Triangle to bring you guys the most bizarre encounters imaginable, then dissecting them with the skills of a pathologist to theorize what exactly is going on in this bizarre reality we all reside in. I am... The Shane Squatch. Shane. I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. And we are the Bizarre Crew. And just to throw that in, that was a uh, listener name because I was saying that I couldn't use Hippie Squatch anymore since I cut the locks. So I had a listener hit me up, Kelly, and uh, say, what about Shane Squatch? So I'm just going to try to use that one, see if it sticks. Because I figured it's kind of universal where even if I change anything else, it still kind of works. So that's that's the new one for now. And we could also go, fucking Shane Squanch. Fucking Sand Squanch. <laughs> Better than shirtless Shane last week. Fuck. Or was that last week or the week before? Hard disagree. <laughs> <laughs> That's exclusive content. You got to be on the Patreon for that shit. But anyways, just to get everything rolling, uh, what's new with you guys? How are you guys doing this week? Uh, doing pretty good. We've got the Withville UFO Festival in Withville, Virginia next week. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. A uh, little teaser, we're probably going to be dropping an episode about that here in the next few weeks, but uh, we kind of wanted to wait and go to uh, the festival before we drop the episode, just so we kind of had a little bit more content to talk about. But uh, that's basically the big thing we've got on the radar coming up here shortly. What about you, babe? You got anything to talk about? Uh, no, it's Friday, and I'm happy, and uh, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so Shane... Uh, why don't you tell the listeners about what you got exciting going on this weekend? Well, this will be coming out a couple days after this, but tomorrow, as far as where we're recording at, because we're recording on Friday, is uh, Small Town Monster Fest, so that's going to be pretty fun. And uh, for anybody that I saw there, just an extra shout-out, because I haven't seen you physically yet, but this will be a couple days later, but I already know it's going to be fun, so you know, I just had to throw that one in there. And of course, uh, hopefully everybody that saw me there did say hello, again, talking in forward tense or whatever you want to call it <laughs> we're like quentin tarantinoing it right now yeah and then i got to talk about it on another episode and pretend like it was like way after but put that episode before this episode <laughs> figure it out shit. <laughs> and 
And then other than that, uh, finally got to move back the uh, good old reptile into the studio now that I got the room for it. So I got my uh, other co-host, well, I guess our other co-host, uh, Butter the Leopard Tortoise, sitting behind me now. So for any uh, future listeners, we now have a fourth co-host, but he's a silent co-host. He's a mascot, if you will. No, he's got a microphone and everything. He's sitting back here. He's got the headphones on. He's got the microphone. He has full <laughs> access to speak, and he's just like, no, nah, fuck you guys. <laughs> it's not important enough when he has something to say he will say it and it might even sound like a like a weird really whispery voice that kind of sounds like my voice i swear that's not me it's it's our extra co-host <laughs> <laughs> gotta lay the groundwork for jokes in the future <laughs> well you know i love jokes give us the button oh i had it turned down there it is Blow my damn eardrums out while in the process. Woo. I swear at some point we're going to get this down to a science. I'm so used yeah. to having it turned down on other shows because when I'm doing inquiries, you know, the show's a little bit more serious. So it's like, I don't want to be tempted to hit the buttons. So then every time I start up this show, the first time we go to hit it, I always got to turn it up because I forget that I turn it down. I just need to put a little reminder on the top of the board. It says bizarre encounters. Turn that fucking sound bar up. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Turn it on, dumbass. <laughs> That'll be one of the buttons too. That'll be my. I'm gonna add that as a button, so that if I do forget in the future, I at least have <laughs> that as another button. Or Red Foreman talking shit. One of the two. It'll work. Dumbass. <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> so speaking of dumbasses, if any of you dumbasses out there want to contact us and you know contribute to the show in any way or suggest. My red foreman got me off kill. <laughs> if any of our listeners out there want to suggest any uh, subjects for us to tackle on the show or guests uh, that you want us to have on or anything of that nature, any authors, uh, any artists, whatever, want to contribute to the show, reach out to us, social media, Instagram, Outlook, uh, and that's um, Bizarre Encounters at Outlook.com. Just all the normal internet things. Hit us up, and we're always up for hearing Y'all's suggestions and bizarre encounters. Say, don't forget to uh, share, share, share those listener encounters because we'd like to make it a segment in the beginning of the show that we do every week. We just got to start stockpiling a bit and we've only had one submission so far as far as that front goes. So even if it's something little, something paranormal, even if it's only a paragraph, don't be afraid to send it in because we'd still love to be able to talk about it on the show, everybody. So, and with that also... If you guys aren't already following us on social media, highly recommend that you go and do that if you want to get updates on anything cool going on with the show or anything that I deem as post-worthy. Uh, you guys can also pop into the Telegram and the Discord. Uh, we're building up both of those, primarily the Discord, because it's a lot more fun and way easier to maneuver. Uh, restructure that a bit, have a bunch of new people popping in there, having a bunch of cool conversations with like-minded individuals. So that sounds like something that might interest you. Uh, don't hesitate. Hop on into the uh, Open Minds Media Hangout Discord, because it's always fun over there, of course. And uh, just as the extra throw in to that, too, if anybody uh, has any ideas that they want to talk about for specific topics or channels over there, I'm more than happy to take suggestions. Uh, there is a tab also for suggestions. So if anybody has any suggestions for the Discord, if you're already a member, uh, also don't hesitate to uh, throw your suggestions because we want to make it better, make it easier, make it more fun for everybody to hang out in, of course. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple ways to do so. Uh, number one, of course, is to come and join the Patreon. Uh, there you'll get early access to the show. You'll get live feeds of the show and live replays of shows if you're not able to make it to the live, which is, of course, the uh, video format of the show. Uh, that's a Patreon exclusive. So uh, if that sounds like something that interests you, just like the other stuff, go and uh, check it out, of course. Uh, multiple tiers over there. So uh, 
lot to lot to check out. There's going to be some more stuff popping off in the future. Uh, in the month of June, we will be doing a group hangout with all of us just kind of hanging out, uh, letting all the audience pop in on cameras and talk with us. And it'll be a lot of fun. So, you know, go and join the uh, Patreon because we're not 100% sure if we're doing it through Patreon or Discord, but it's going to be one of the two. So go and check it out, of course, like I've said, like 30 times, but beyond the point. Um, and if you guys want to donate to the show directly uh, to make it so that we can go to events easier, since we all got to kind of meet in the middle because we're about nine hours or so from each other, uh, you guys can always donate through Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. Uh, down at the bottom of the show description, you'll see a link down there that says something along the lines of donate on Red Circle. And if you guys do that, of course, uh, don't forget to uh, shoot us a message if it doesn't give you an option for a personalized message so that we can give you a shout out on the show, of course, because if you donate to the show, we want to show our love and support back for you. And uh, the last way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media merch store, where you will find Bizarre Encounter designs, bite-sized bizarrity designs. And uh, I'm working on a new one. Haven't fully mapped it out yet, but I'm making a design that says stay bizarre, you know, bizarre encounter, stay bizarre, since that's kind of become like the catchphrase of the show. Uh, I got a couple different avenues that I could go with with it. So I might start dropping those on the Instagram soon, see which one everybody kind of digs and uh, start kind of working down that avenue. But yeah, I'm trying to coordinate the merch store. So it's not just specifically like the logos. There's going to be some more other cool stuff going on. So also with the suggestions, if anybody has anything that they'd like to see on shirts or, you know, anything that we say on the show they think is funny, let us know. And I'd be more than happy to try to coordinate it into some type of design. And uh, while we're talking about awesome merch, don't forget to go and check out Crypto Theology. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about that shit on the show like 30 times. You see me post the shirts for it all the time. And uh, after this weekend, I'll have some more Crypto Zoology shirts to be posting. So uh, definitely go check it out. I think you guys will like it. If you guys enjoyed this show, you'll definitely enjoy all the awesome work Joe is doing over there with Crypto Theology. And with that. And with that, be on the lookout for the Open Minds Media OnlyFans page. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. That's not going to happen. But all this shit is in the link tree in the show notes. It sounds fun, but the thing that's going to happen is just going to be Orn and I, and it's not going to be fun for anybody, <laughs> including us. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, speak for yourself, man. Uh, I'll just be having a ball over here. <laughs> <laughs> having a ball? Showing my balls. Yeah. Two balls, <laughs> Only if you're lucky. You got to pay extra for that. You got to tip. That's the premium package. <laughs> All right, Shane, why don't you uh, kind of get our listeners up to speed with what we've been working on here the past couple episodes before we jump into the new material. So we are finally getting to the last part of our Native American uh, cannibal creature lore saga, part three, uh, digging into, I guess, kind of the back end of it now. Um, one of the weird ones that doesn't quite fit in the category, but had a little bit longer of a description. So I kind of figured I'd throw it in at the end as kind of like a like a preemptive thing to bring you guys into it. Um, this one's a little bit different. I'm sure that you guys have heard about this concept a few times, but not specifically from Native American lore. So I figured it'd be a fun one to dig into. And then, of course, with uh, considering how much we theorize on the show, uh, we got to get into Wendigo psychosis as, of course, a possible theory. And uh, before the show, Jenny was even saying that she uh, has some more information to throw in on that one. So I think you guys are all going to really dig this episode, and it's going to wrap out our really fun series we've been doing. But the good news is it gives us opportunity to hop into something else new. So, you know, you guys may have dug this one. If you guys did, let us know. We can definitely do some more Native American lore in the future. But if you didn't enjoy it, then at least, you know, we'd be moving on to UFOs and some other cool stuff. So <laughs> hopefully if you guys are listening to part three, though, you guys enjoyed part one and two. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, definitely got some cool stuff on deck for you guys. But uh, we're going to jump right in with our last uh, Native American cannibal creature. It's the Black Taminus. 
also known as the Tar Man, a cannibalistic monster from the mythology of the Mathika and the Pacific Northwest Indians of North America. The terrifying Black Taminus, or Black Spirit, would hunt for humans in the wilderness. Black Taminus was the cannibal spirit who was overlooked when the great Transformer rid the Earth of all the gigantic primordial beings which were responsible for bringing evil. He somehow managed to miss Black Taminus, leaving him to continue to plague the people. Black Taminus continued to stalk the Earth, bringing terror as it sought to gobble up people. He was the leader of the cannibal society among the Kowiktul tribe. They met every year during the winter season to observe the, cere the ceremonial eating of human flesh. Of all the oozes in Mathika, the black Taminus is the most feared one, as they turn their victims into ravenous cannibals. These bizarre tar-like ooze horrors search for living creatures to enter while they slumber. Once inside, they take over the host and turn it into a ravenous cannibal, that only hunts its own species. Why the Black Taminus does this is not really known, but they seem to feed not on the flesh of the victims, but on the act of cannibalism itself. While the Black Taminus tries to conceal itself in its human host, it still has obvious features, such as tar-leaking eyes, mouth, and ears, and tarry footprints. Once a Black Taminus gets bored with its current host, it will exit through the mouth and go searching for a new, better host. The victim is left to rot away in a black pool of its own corrupted hunger, becoming a new black Taminus and searching for its own victims. Black Taminus are very difficult to remove from a host. Only the most powerful of holy spells can do that trick. But most often, victims and Taminus are burned away with fire spells. The Taminus, in its natural black tar form, can also shoot parts of its own body into victims. These make victims stick to trees or rocks so they become easy victims. According to some tales, the Taminus could be identified by the tarry black footprints that it left behind whenever it walked, but otherwise appeared as a more or less normal person. Not merely content with hunting down and eating voluntary cannibals, the Tanimus was also said to try and trick people into eating human flesh so that they would become its legitimate prey. It is not immediately clear whether the Taminus is a spirit, a demon, undead, or transformed human of some other species of monster. But most legends seem to agree that it is not unique. The cannibal society named Black Taminus or Hamatsa, sometimes translated as dog eaters and cannibal dancers, appears indelibly marked with a terrible history of racism, colonialism, appropriation, and blood libel. It was a secret society or fraternity among some Pacific Northwest tribes. It required high dues and feasts, so it was only joined by rich men's sons. They were reputed to hold black masses, where they blackened their faces and ate dogs alive in an orgy of cannibalism. Supposedly, they performed such rites in order to influence demons against their foes. Given the tribe's unwillingness to discuss the issues with outsiders, and the history of colonial governments banning them from participating in their own religions, the veracity of these statements is questionable, and it sounds like a case of blood libel. Compare the Wendigo psychosis historically used to oppress Algonquin tribes. Other more recent sources explain that the Hamatsa, or cannibal dance, was far more benign in nature. Meat is Murder by Matika Brotman explains that the cannibal dance 
was intended to sublimate such harmful urges, not release them. The taking and displaying of human body parts as trophies by American Indians by Richard J. Chacon and David H. Dye explains that the cannibal dances were purely symbolic. Okay, uh, The masked dancers would play act the man-eater at the mouth of the river, often shortened to the man-eater. A monster comprised of gnawing mouths and its raptor mask companions as they decapitated victim roles and consumed carved heads and trophy skulls. This is comparable to, for example, the masked mortality plays of the core culture of the Bambara people in Mali that were intended to scare viewers into good behavior by displaying the reviled habits of hyenas. Some tabletop role-playing games took the cannibal cult idea seriously and ran with it. Shadow Run depicts the Taminus as a human trafficking organization run by supernatural cannibal-like ghouls. Chill depicts both the black spirit and the cult it patronizes, and invents additional details not found in the original myth. The black spirit may assume human form, leaves black tarry footprints, and specifically eats cannibals. Given the paucity of information on the myths, online gaming sites have produced increasingly distorted depictions while mistakenly assuming this is the true origins of the myth. So that sounds a lot like the, uh, the Wendigo idea to me. Just like any Native American lore, you got to twist it and bend it to make it sound more interesting for the uh, white viewers making the video games and movies. And more scarier. Yeah. <laughs> the word Taminus apparently appears in the languages of several Pacific Northwest tribes. It is typically translated as spirit, but its exact meaning is broader due to the various contexts in which it appears. It is used as a noun for spiritual beings, including totems, guardian angels, and demons, and spiritual workings. An adjective for objects that house spirits and medicine men who deal with spirits or who deal with sacred, sacred rites, hobbies, dances, and winter ceremonials. The most disturbing context in which I found the word was in accounts to the Pacific Northwest tribes being banned from practicing their own religions, although I suppose I should not be surprised. So I already got to make a few comments on all of this. So first of all, the society almost sounds like the Native American version of like the Illuminati or something. <laughs> Just got to make that as yeah. like a comment here. And then... Uh, the whole idea about them doing the doing the society for the sake of trying to show the tribe like what not to do. Um, it kind of reminds me of another thing that I had been talking about on the inquiries of our reality recently um, with the Pueblo clowns. So like the whole idea with the Pueblo clowns with Native American lore is that they believe that they once came from the sky and then they'd come and then they just pretty much act like clowns, act a fool and basically show people like what they weren't supposed to do, like show like the absolute like worst behavior possible. So then after a while, they said that they stopped coming and that they would embody the people that were there. So they would purposely take like the medicine men, all the people that were like, you know, had like more like shamanistic views, I guess you could say, or like ways of thinking. And they would like prep them to be Pueblo clowns for this ceremony every year. And when they did it, they would uh, just, again, do like the most vulgar things. Like they would like masturbate in front of everybody. They would like shit on the floor and like throw it. They would just do whatever. They just do like the most ridiculous, crazy possible behavior to basically show people like what not to do. But there was still this whole like spiritual connection behind it. So, I mean, with a lot of this Native American lore stuff, there's a lot of 
just like metaphors for things, but it doesn't necessarily physically mean anything. But like for this one and for the Pueblo clowns, it reminds me of a lot, a lot of like in the aspect of it's not just a ceremony that's based on possibly like showing people what not to do. There's actually like a, like a creature lore that's based like behind it. So then like my question comes in, is it that they create this like ceremony and use the creature as a metaphor for what not to be like, or was the creature itself created as a metaphor as with part of the ceremony to show like it pretty much like did the, the, did the ceremony inspire the creature or did the creature inspire the ceremony is kind of what I'm getting at here, but <laughs> yeah, kind of a chicken and the egg type situation, but no, that's kind of like what I was saying. And I think it was the first episode when we were talking about the Wendigo and how it kind of seems to me like it's possible that this was just something that was based off of something real, but kind of, you know, created to warn people against gluttony and excess and, things like that. And I mean, I think that kind of plays into what you were saying too. Like is it a chicken or the egg type situation with the ceremonies and the actual creature? And like, no matter how different this is from the Wendigo, like visually looking at it, like the, the base of the story is pretty damn close that it just sounds like another, another tribes, like variation of kind of like the same type of thing. Like yeah. if you're looking at it from like a, like a metaphorical lens rather than it like being like a physical solid creature which you know a anything's possible but <laughs> i like to of course look at it like these things may have actually existed just for the sake of fun of it but like metaphorically like the story existed for probably the same reason that the wendigo story existed even though the creatures themselves are different but just to also throw in another thing on it talk about a i'm pretty sure it's it probably isn't a bunch of different comic books, but this dude is pretty much just a comic book character. He's just this giant black sludgy thing that takes over people and oozes out of their eyes and throws more fucking goo at people. Like <laughs> think about how many different characters for villains are probably inspired by this. Cause assume like this is significantly older than comic books and any type of like creatures in like movies and Lord shit. So I'm sure that this is inspired, inspired a lot of things like magma man, like Sandman, like all that kind of shit. And uh, isn't there some other, like, Batman villain that's, like, Mudman or something like that? Uh, and there's, like, something from, like, the Batman animated cartoon when we were, like, kids. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm going to kick myself like, in the I ass for... Him in, in my head, but, like, anyway. I gotta look it up. tangent that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Well, I got the music to look this up, so... We'll take a second. We'll, we'll figure this out. It's just... Clayface. There it is. There you go. <laughs> well, there. sometimes when you have it on the tip of your tongue, you just gotta know. I knew it was something that had to do with like mutter clay. I was like, whoa, it's almost there. Because you know what fucks me up is that like Spider Man has Sandman, and then it's like my mind just always wants to go to Sandman. <laughs> All right, Shane. So you want to tell us a little bit about Wendigo psychosis? Yes, I just have to get back to my spot in the notes. Here they are. So. Of course, coming at it from the, uh, I don't want to say ne necessarily rational perspective, but the like coming at it from like a medical perspective rather than coming at it from like a lore perspective, uh, you got to take 
Wendigo psychosis into consideration, of course. So that being said, considering that we always dive into theories, we, of course, have to cover a little bit of Wendigo psychosis. And part of that, of course, will be uh, Swift Runner, which, if everybody remembers, we talked about a little bit in the first episode, and I said that he was going to be referenced again. Well, he's going to be coming up here pretty damn soon. In historical accounts of retroactively diagnosed Wendigo psychosis, it has been reported that humans become possessed by the Wendigo spirit. After being in a situation of needing food and having no other choice other than cannibalism. In 1661, the Jesuit relations reported, What caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake, namely, that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations of the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous were that they were to await our coming. They had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual amongst the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frequency. They have a combination of all of these species of disease, which affects their imagination and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and upon men like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glute their appetite, ever seeking flesh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy amongst these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. Although in many recorded cases of Wendigo psychosis, the individuals have been killed to prevent cannibalism from resulting, some Cree folklore recommends treatment by ingesting of fatty animal meats or drinking animal grease. Those treatments may sometimes vomit ice as part of their curing process. And kind of funny that this got brought up because uh, I was literally just thinking today about that last episode that we did, and I was curious as to what the, the mixture was that she made when uh, she made the uh, Chinu throw up the three different miniature ice figure of the different people. Well, it sounds to me like if you're drinking straight animal grease, you're going to be too busy shitting your pants to want to eat people. So, I mean, that's probably a pretty <laughs> effective remedy. Yeah, <laughs> you're not wrong there. At that point, I mean, you could probably just take some uh, some laxatives and that would probably be the, you know... New century cure for the same disease. Hell, man. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure the thought was that just straight grease would appease um, your starvation somewhat, too. Just, you know, well, yeah. let's, let's mainline that straight in. Let's get some fat back on those bones. Fill in that stomach. Yes. <laughs> One of the more famous cases of Wendigo psychosis reported involving a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swift Runner. During the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family were starving and his eldest son died. 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at the Hudson Bay Company Post, Swift Runner butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children. Given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to food supply and that he killed and consumed the remains of all of those present, it is revealed that Swift Runner was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort to avoid starvation, but rather a man with Wendigo psychosis. He eventually confessed that and was executed by authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. Another well-known case involving Wendigo psychosis was that of Jack Fiddler, an 
Oji Cree chief and medicine man known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. In some cases, this entailed killing people with Wendigo psychosis. As a result, in 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for homicide. Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving the news of his pardon. Now, I guess we will deter for a second, at least, from the main reading, and this is probably a good opportunity for Jenny to throw in the cool information that she found today. Okay. I was going to say one more thing about Jack Fiddler. Something I read said that I believe he killed like 17 people and the people's families would come to him and say, look, my family member has Wendigo psychosis. Could you come take care of this? So he's kind of like a straight up murderer. <laughs> <laughs> that almost sounds like the equivalent of like the witch trials that people would be like, Oh, they're, they got Wendigo psychosis. Can you, can you just come and take care of the problem for me real quick? Exactly. Exactly. That it sounds a lot like that. Okay. So, um, I was just looking for other accounts because clearly there's not very many documented accounts of accounts of people having Wendigo psychosis, but this is kind of what I found. All right. This account was written by Reverend Egerton R. Young, who was an author and a Methodist minister and a missionary. And he preserved in his account, this account in his personal scrapbook. Another dreadful event has occurred about 100 miles from us. A boy about 15 years old went crazy, and his ravings kept asking for flesh to eat. At last he said, I will surely kill someone and eat them if I can. One day he attacked his father and tried to bite him. That's not funny, but I mean, what kid doesn't <laughs> try to bite their parent? But, okay. Normally not when they're 15. I guess. Yeah, yeah that's more right. so like a like a four or five year old, maybe. I mean, even younger than that. But I haven't had problems with my kids wanting to attack me, so I guess I can't really speak from a place of knowledge. <laughs> no, that, maybe yes. you just had strange hobbies. <laughs> strange hobbies. Yeah. All, right. All right. So anyway, at last he said, "I will surely kill someone and eat them if I can." One day, he attacked his father and tried to bite him. The father and elderly brother of the crazy one then <laughs> deliberately strangled him and burnt his body to ashes. They have a superstitious belief that unless the body of a crazy person is consumed by fire, it comes to life again. And ever after, a great source of trouble and affliction to his friends. So, um, the Reverend uh, Young perceived this to be Wendigo psychosis. So I guess that's where, where the account comes from. And there's one more little story. Um, in The Cure and Feeding of Wendigos, a critique by Jennifer Brown, a study was done of 70 cases of Wendigo psychosis treatment. Nine subs, <laughs> this, is, this is what they did. This was the conclusion of their, quote, study. Nine subs, Sufferers were ostracized from their communities. One committed suicide. Strangely, two were themselves killed and eaten by others. The result of 15 cases are unknown, and 10 people actually recovered. The remaining 33 were killed, some of whom consented to their own deaths rather than living out the remainder of their days as a Wendigo. So this was actually a study that happened in 1971. That's like pretty recent. <laughs> I, I was pretty surprised at how recent a lot of these studies were. 
Yeah, because that other one you were reading about was not so like in the eighties, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, just a few notes I had, um, which I think we've kind of touched on all the symptoms, but the treatment in the past was feeding them lots of bear duck fat to induce vomiting of hopes of uh, vomiting, vomiting up the Wendigo's icy heart and then um, feeding them so they wouldn't be emaciated and isolation so they wouldn't eat anyone. So that was then. There's not really, I don't think there are very many, if any accounts currently, this is kind of something I think that's gone away but basically what I read is how they would treat this now is just with proper nutrition, um, <laughs> psychotic mes- medication such as di- diazepam and just uh, treating it sim- similar to schizophrenia. So that was just kind of. What about the little boy who tried to bite his father? How would they treat that? <laughs> well, I think they treat A muzzle. Fire. Good old muzzle. Bad <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, kitty. <laughs> I think they just. Uh, I mean, at this point, it almost sounds like. Wendigo, whatever psychosis, at least almost sounds like a like a real world like zombie disease that might be caused from maybe lack of having food, maybe starts causing some negative effects and hallucination to the brain, um, maybe mm-hmm. even having to do with like not as much oxygen getting received by the brain. Maybe it blocks like certain pathways when you're not receiving like a proper diet. Because I mean, obviously, not eating a lot will start to cause cases of like. That's what I'm looking for. Will cause cases of hysteria, but if you include like the cold weather into it, I wonder if it has a different effect as far as like how the brain works and how it breaks things down. Where maybe it like will cause a more hysteria, yeah, a, a form of psychosis because of like mm-hmm. the cold weather, like also having a contributing factor to it. But yeah, either way, goes back to being some kind of like real world like zombie disease by some type of lack of something in the brain. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm viewing this Wendigo psychosis part of it. Well, you know, people with um, anorexia who starve their bodies for so long, once you get under a certain body fat, your brain doesn't function properly. And let's combine that with being stuck probably somewhere indoors because of the snow. And just, I I mean, I would go crazy. (laughs) People go crazy for each of those things individually. And then you combine all three of those factors together of, winter and the cold people being stuck in is one small specific area and not having food. And then you have three different forms of something that could cause mass hysteria and you put it all together and then you have Wendigo psychosis. <laughs> yes. Well, and something else I thought about reading and researching all this is on top of, you know, everything you guys just said, if you've heard these like cautionary tales since you were a kid about don't become a Wendigo. If shit gets bad, don't eat your little brother. Like I almost wonder if it's like a case of like just becoming what you fear the most or whatever at that point. Like if you've had it beaten to your head, if you're starving and it's in the middle of winter, you better not damn eat your brother and turn into a Wendigo. My other question though, I just wonder if it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy to a certain extent. I mean, but the other kind of thing that I was thinking kind of relating to that too is if somebody already has the tendencies of being like a psychopath and they just kind of use this as an opportunity to kind of live into what they might be thinking in their head. And I mean, when you're pushed into that type of situation, I mean, your worst, the worst parts of you are going to come out. So I still kind of feel like there's still a tendency for any of these people to probably have psychopathic 
thoughts in their head and it just kind of comes into flourishing, especially with this guy being relatively re- close to being able to get a food source. Like he, they said that the, the, the post wasn't too far away from him. I feel like there was still some type of something in his head where he, he probably was contemplating at different times, like murdering different people, or it was one of those things where he was a parent and somehow already had those tendencies and then snapped after his one son died. And he was just kind of like, all right, if you know, my one son isn't alive, which was his oldest, which is probably assumably one of his like pride sons. Cause it was his first son, you know, then he just kind of said, fuck the rest and wasn't even intending to live after this. He was just like, all right, my family goes down. We're all going down together. I could see that man. Jeffy Dahmer should have just pulled the old Wendigo psychosis. card. <laughs> <laughs> They just plead insanity. That's that's what anybody who who's under this should probably do is just plead insanity, and then you won't get death. You'll just get life in a mental institution. Yeah, that's true. But then you still at least probably have the chance of parole then, because if you plead insanity, you can get mentally better. So you're just kind of opening yourself a doorway to to get yourself out eventually in the future. <laughs> well, what was his name? James Fiddler. He he'd been pardoned. Didn't <laughs> make it though. <laughs> been redeemed from wanting to eat people. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I will get back to the notes now. That was just uh, some thoughts I'd had today. Um, it was a slow day at work, if y'all can't tell. Okay. Always a positive, though, because then it gives us more time to do research for the show. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western mm, psychologists and anthropologists led to hotly debated controversy, controversy in the 1980s over the historic validity of this phenomenon. Some researchers argued that essentially Wendigo psychosis was fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories related to them at face value without observation. Others have pointed to a number of credible eyewitness accounts, both by the Algonquins and others, as evidence that Wendigo psychosis was a factual historic phenomenon. The frequency of Wendigo psychosis cases decreased sharply in the 20th century as boreal Algonquin people came into greater and greater contact with European ideologies and more sedentary, less rural lifestyles. In his 2004 treatise, Revenge of the Wendigo on Disorders and Treatments of the Behavioral Health Industry in the United States and Canada that are particular to indigenous people, James B. Waldron wrote, no actual cases of Wendigo psychosis have ever been studied. And Lou Mar- Marano's scathing critique in 1985 should have killed off the cannibal monster within the psychiatric uh, annals. Annals. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> there, there's an extra end there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> you had enough cold beers, there is. Um, Bizarre Encounters After Dark. Okay. That's what she said. (laughs) Sometimes. All right. The Wendigo, however, continues to seek revenge for this attempted scholarly execution by periodically duping unsuspecting passerbyers like psychiatrists into believing that Wendigo psychosis not only exists, but that a psychiatrist could conceivably encounter a patient suffering from this disorder in his or her practice today. Wendigo psychosis may well be the most perfect example of the construction of an aboriginal mental disorder by the scholarly professions 
and its persistence dramatically underscores how constructions of the aboriginal by these professions have like Frankenstein monster taken on a life of their own. I mean, I think it's like a perfect excuse because you can't prove that you don't have Wendigo psychosis. No, it's like one of those chapter. Well, I'm not going to say anything that could be. <laughs> Hopefully we don't have any psychopath listeners out there, but if anybody ever resorts to cannibalism, just blame Wendigo psychosis and you'll That's be the right. first case in uh, the modern world. <laughs> That's right. All right. So the 10th revision of the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. Uh, This is enthralling stuff here. (laughs) Reading textbooks. Get it, babe. Classifies Wendigo as a culture-specific disorder, describing it as rare historic accounts of cannibalistic obsession. Symptoms include depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, and a delusional, compulsive wish to eat human flesh. And this just sounds like the warnings at the end of every <coughs> medication. That, that's what I was thinking. I'll just speed it up in the post-edit of the episode so it sounds just like it. Yeah, ask your doctor. <laughs> ask, ask your doctor if you might need some medicine for Wendigo psychosis. <laughs> yeah, if you want to eat your partner on occasion. Consult your doctor. Your <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> Some controversial new studies question the syndrome's legitimacy. (laughs) Let me reread that. Some controversial new studies question the syndrome's legitimacy, claiming cases were actually a product of hostile accusations invented to justify the victim's ostracism or or execution. In addition to denoting a cannibalistic monster from certain folklore traditions, Some Native Americans also understand the Wendigo conceptually. As a concept, the Wendigo can apply to any person, idea, or movement infected by a corrosive drive toward greed and excessive consumption. Traits that sow disharmony and destruction if left unchecked. Ojibwa scholar Brady DeSanti asserts that the Wendigo can be understood as a marker indicating a personal imbalance both internally and toward the larger community of humans and spiritual beings around them. Out of equilibrium and estranged by their communities, individuals thought to be afflicted by the Wendigo spirit unravel and destroy the ecological balance around them. Chippewa author Louise Indrick's novel, The Round House, depicts a situation where an individual person becomes a Wendigo. The novel describes its primary antagonist, a rapist whose violent crimes desecrate a sacred site as a Wendigo who must be killed because he threatens the reservation's safety. In addition to characterizing individual people who exhibit destructive tendencies, the Wendigo can also describe movements and events with similar negative effects. According to Professor Chris Shedler, the figure of the Wendigo represents consuming forms of exclusion and assimilation through which groups dominate other groups. This application allows Native Americans to describe colonialism and its agents as Wendigos since the process of colonialism ejected Natives from their land and threw the natural world out of balance. DeSanti points to the 1999 horror film Ravenous as an illustration of this argument equating the cannibal monster to the American colonialism and manifest destiny. This movie features a character who articulates that expression 
and brings displacement and destruction as a side effect, explaining that manifest destiny and Western expansion will bring thousands of gold-hungry Americans over the mountains in search of new lives. This country is seeking to be whole, stretching out its arms and consuming all it can, and we merrily follow. As a concept, Wendigo can apply to situations other than some Native American-European relations. It can serve as a metaphor for explaining any pattern of domination by which groups subjugate and dominate or violently destroy and displace. Joe Lockhart, English professor at Arizona State University, argues that Wendigos are agents of social cannibalism who know no provincial or national borders. All human cultures have been visited by shape-shifting Wendigos. These visitations speak to the inseparability of human experience. National identity is irrelevant to these borderless horrors. Lockhart's ideas explain that Wendigos are an expression of a dark aspect of human nature, the drive towards greed, consumption, and a disregard for others' lives in the pursuit of self-aggrandizement. Romantic scholar and documentarian Emily Zarka, also a professor of of Arizona State University observes that two commonalities among the indigenous cultures of Algonquin language family speakers are that, that they are situated in climates where harsh winters are frequent and may be accompanied by starvation. She states that the Wendigo symbolically represents three major concepts. It is the incarnation of winter, the embodiment of hunger, and the personification of selfishness. Robert Brightman's paper on the wind, on Wendigo psychosis, the Wendigo in the material world, analyzes the modern-day applications in the origin of the Wendigo psychosis. Brightman seeks to discover if the Wendigo complex has its roots in Algonquin culture or if it is a diagnosable psychosis. The Wendigo complex is believed to have begun in the Algonquin tribes of the boreal forest, who believed that a man who ate human flesh would transform into a beast. This beast, called a Wendigo, would, in turn, would hunt the rest of, the, of his tribe. Modern psychiatrists claim that the cannibalistic tendency is a cultural, distinctive brain disorder brought on by famine and extreme starvation. He first explores the question of how differences in both cultures can affect the outcome and inspirations of the Wendigo. The next question he asks is why these cultural differences would have such an effect on the presentation of the Wendigo in both got to be obnoxious with the paper first culture's history. <laughs> this is done by comparing the two cultures and their values. These give a hint as to why two seemingly similar cultures would have different interpretations of similar stories. Finally, Riddington's questions on the ideas of Wendigo psychosis and its place in the Algonquin and Alabaskan cultures. In the Alabaskan culture, the Wendigo is a creature called a Wachuge, which is part man and part animal. The Wachuge lures people away from their camp, playing on their desire for food. There are many stories regarding this creature that have often been told to frighten people, much like how modern people watch horror movies. Ridgington describes these stories as told by Aku and Jumbi, two tribe members. The Wachuge is a man plagued by his power in which he believes that he is too strong for the moral, mortal world. In the Algonquin culture, however, becoming Wendigo is a sign of weakness, succumbing to the elements and witchcraft. Ridgington answers these questions through ethnographic study of both the Algonquin and Alabaskan cultures. He collected information from his own experiences and the experiences 
of the anthropologist, as well as oral stories from the tribe members. While Algonquin and Alabaskan cultures are similar at the surface, they hold very different morals. And, of course, had to come back full circle with the Wendigo and the Wachuge right there at the end. Do some some comparison from another scholarly type individual. But, yeah, um, I mean, realistically, I mean, you guys can interpret it however you guys deem. But it can be looked at two ways. Either one, this is all just different views and lenses of the same type of being, same type of creature, or same type of, like, story, essentially. Or these were all individual creatures that had likenesses that because of just everybody blending things together, they had so much stuff in common that they've all just been combined into the same lore at this point. But I mean, I kind of, what's your guys' interpretations as far as all of this goes? I mean, I'm kind of still sticking with the idea that I think it's possible that the idea of the Wendigo was based off of something that actually existed, maybe even like a dog man, but it was kind of, morphed into these cautionary tales and these fables almost and kind of like we were talking about earlier in this episode and what you just read i think this kind of hits the nail on the head um that the wendigo symbolically represents three major concepts the incarnation of winter the embodiment of hunger and the personification of selfishness so i think that's kind of kind of it in a nutshell like basically Watch out for those three things and don't be a dick or the Wendigo is going to get you. Also, they were probably starving giants. I'm just going to go with that one just for the sake of fun. Yeah, I can get behind that. Because, I mean, realistically, you got to look at how everything falls as far as like time goes, where if there were giants, you know, they're pretty much extinct now if there are some still around, which, you know, according to a lot of recent studies, recent stories there seems to be a handful of them still around but at some point they had to start starving and dying out and realistically if you're looking at it from like the perspective of giants being real i mean there would have had to been like a like a downgraded time where they're all starting to die off and this could have essentially been that time and that also being said the original wendigo lore when it got connected in i mean maybe it was an illness that specifically just went towards giants maybe that's why all of them got sick maybe there's a split in the dna between like human dna and giant dna where it was something that affected them but not us um just trying to think of other perspectives of what could have killed off the giants it could have been some this this as a disease where they just turn fucking crazy because they had some type of like maybe like a brain parasite and it sparked all this lore as the giants were dying off. But um, that's just my throw in at the end kind of weird off the wall theory on the whole thing. No, I like that one. That kind of gets back to Nephilim and giants and you could go a whole lot of different directions with that one. So I, I think that's a really, I, I think that's the funnest way to look at it. Honestly. At least for like Wendigo and Wachuge, that's not including like the Rugru, which of course I think is just a matter of Native American language being kind of connecting the, the lore between the two things with, you know, there being like dogmen, like werewolf type creatures in Louisiana possibly. Um, but the Black Termanus one is the one where it kind of differs a little bit. But, um, I mean, that could have also been another disease that was maybe very common to it. Maybe there was some type of weird disease that would cause your blood to like thicken or something and it would look like black tar coming out of your eyes and maybe it would drive you insane. Like, I mean, that could have also been related to some type of old world illness that we have no understanding of also that 
all that lore could have started to intermix as all the different tribes started to have communication with each other and started saying, oh, this is similar to this, this is similar to this. They started giving and trading parts of the lore to it, but you could be looking at the Wendigo, which you gay, as the giants, and the Black Terminus as, again, maybe some type of like disease where people start bleeding out of like their eyes and mouths, but it comes out really, really dark, and it looks like it's black. But that's just another theory and idea. Yeah, no, I think... You know, that kind of gets back to what we talk about all the time with the game of telephone and calling or different names for the exact same thing. So, yeah, I think that's definitely possible. And then even like the whole ceremony links in with like the whole like clowns thing that's seen across Native American lore. Or maybe this specific group just had a more dark idea variation of kind of like the same kind of clown ceremony of just showing the absolute worst of society in order to show people to do better but in turn there's still those people that really enjoyed that weird dark shit and it almost seems like they almost kind of created like a higher elite uh for lack of better term illuminati like society amongst the native americans unintentionally because they realized that they really enjoyed this weird taboo shit just like the elites assumably do Well, and just on the heels of that, I want to add in, we've just finished the second season of Yellow Jackets. Oh, my goodness. So I'm 100% convinced that what happens to these people is Wendigo psychosis. So you want to watch something good, something fantastic and weird and bizarre? Anybody who's listening to our show would probably enjoy Yellow Jackets, I think. But everything we've mentioned is something that is happens the to link them. tree oh well, well uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little bit later on <laughs> jumping the gut a little bit there. but like the three things you said the three concepts mm-hmm. the cold the hungry and the what was that one um selfishness selfishness yeah. and everything shane was just saying about like um you know the ceremony and um the yeah. darkness and yeah it's yeah. good shout out yellow jackets just and while we're on the topic of Yellow Jackets, also shout out uh, Frank Reynolds and the Yellow Jacket doo-wop group. <laughs> <laughs> only Orin's laughing. He's the only one that got it. <laughs> no, Frank Reynolds is Danny DeVito from Oh, Always okay. <laughs> Just another side note. You guys can watch Yellow Jackets, and then you guys can go and watch Danny DeVito singing like he's in a doo-wop group called the Yellow Jacket. So just be- watch them back-to-back. Just get, get a full night of Yellow Jacket in. That's awesome. It's <laughs> the same but different. <laughs> Instead of eating people, he is viciously eating eggs and other foods as grossly smashed into his face as possible. So, I mean, honestly, the eating method's the same. Just the matter of what they're eating is the only difference. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure which one's worse. (laughs) When you say worse, the only thing I can think of that's worse is uh, Danny DeVito, butt-ass naked, sweaty, coming out of a couch. Or the crevice. (laughs) (laughs) Avoid the crevice, everybody. (laughs) <laughs> that's how we should sign off every episode just avoid the crevice and stay bizarre avoid the crevice but i feel like that's too that's almost contradicting because i feel like if you want to stay bizarre you almost have to go into the crevice, in the crevice. You just go like <laughs> penis deep in the crevice yep. i think we're talking about a different crevice here <laughs> I, I mean you're the one who was talking about anals in your notes and nows. <laughs> 
anal. It's fancy. It's the French version of anal. It's not anal. It's anal. Well, you know they're into weird shit over there. <laughs> <laughs> and we were going to go into this back. Wait, at the back end. That what? What was the first thing? Why are we always talking about anal on the back end? <laughs> Or anal, as you call it. But if you're doing anal instead of anal, you got to raise the pinky while you're doing the anal. (laughs) (laughs) Even had a monocle in. So it's two birds, one stone. You get to do some anal and some foreplay all at once. Good night for everybody there. You got yellow jackets and you got some anal. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Well, I guess with that... And hopefully it won't lead to too bad of a review. If you guys enjoyed the episode, don't forget to review or rate the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a nice review, hopefully, maybe we'll even read the one stars if they're funny. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, we'll give you guys a shout out on the show, of course. And uh, that, of course, helps the show grow drastically. So anything you guys could do on that end, we appreciate it more than you guys know. And of course, if you guys really enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it through word of mouth with friends that you also think might enjoy this episode. But if uh, you're thinking of that on the third episode maybe you should go back and send them part one of this series and then send them part two and three to make sure they at least listen to all three of these episodes <laughs> yeah no just send them part three when we get like really unhinged here at the end just send them yeah oh, sound really clips cool. of anal mm-hmm. <laughs> and if anybody out there wants to contribute to the show in any way reach out to us on social media uh reach out to us on or through email at bizarreencounters at outlook.com or the submission form on the link tree. Just do all the internet things, everybody. Y'all know how this shit works. <laughs> and if you don't, I don't know how you're listening to this podcast right now. That's right. That's right. And as always, the link tree in the show notes. All this shit's in it. And you better fucking click it. I'll be checking. I'm going to go behind you guys and I'm going to stand behind them and say, you better click that shit. You see that right there? You click it. You click it now. You leave a review. You leave a rating at least. And then follow us on social media. Then after that, I will be happy. Perfect. (laughs) And with that, of course, I've been the Shane Squatch. Shane. I've been anal Lauren. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) And I've been just Jenny. (laughs) And I feel bad for you because I know where his mind's going tonight. And uh, everybody, don't forget to uh, stay bizarre. 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 Bizar